0: Streaming from Abbey Cat Recording Studio in Chicago.
1: You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential.
0: This week, uh, we're going to focus on a band that's uh, been around for a little bit over 40 years. Hard to believe. Uh, My name's Robert Dean.
1: And I'm Blake Sokoloff. And uh, this is Influenced.
0: This is Influenced. So this show is about uh, who's influenced who in rock and roll. And uh, we think The Cure uh, will kind of be a really interesting one because they've had some deep influences on them. uh, And on Robert Smith, of course and uh some really uh, impressive influences on others
1: and uh just like they've had quite a story history in just like uh the pop music sphere and we're just recently inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame which definitely shows that they've like kept up their influence and in just like the i guess you'd say uh, relevance in uh, in their whole for pretty much their entire career and maybe even they're the most relevant today than they've ever been Uh, I mean, they can play like headline pretty much any music festival in the world, like sell out arenas across the across the nation and across the across the world. So I'd say they're uh... definitely as relevant now as they've really ever been like the Robert Smith kind of started the cure in um, when he was really, really young and still and still in school with a lot of his uh, school friends. And they were generally just kind of uh, started out like trying to be like a bit of a punk band, kind of like Robert Smith was very into that, just kind of very angry and very alternative kind of uh, rock music, like the Buzzcocks, and even like bands like Elvis Costello and the Attractions were big influences on the early Cure. So
0: definitely, and uh, and some earlier influences uh, that we could also talk about were uh, Pink Floyd for sure. And, and I know that, uh, Robert Smith was really into, uh, Thin Lizzy, uh, back when he was younger, uh, used to watch him live all the time and said, has been, has talked about how, you know, he's blown away by Thin Lizzy's live performances. So, uh, just kind of a, a mixed bag there. But, um, I think you're right, Blake, as, as, uh, he got a little bit older, uh, the new wave and. Type of influences were really big on him, like Elvis Costello.
1: And uh, as kind of the Cure were starting off and kind of beginning as a band, and like really starting to hit their stride, Robert Smith kind of continued to get into a lot of the more like modern of the of the time music. Like he was very into Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees as they started out, and like and all the also bands like Bauhaus and new order and sisters of mercy who were kind of kind of becoming the first kind of, so to speak, goth rockers on the scene. And that was definitely something that like he started drawing from, I guess it was, it was also like the beginnings of like what would really be considered alternative music. And that's obviously like kind of where the Caribbean listed the majority of their music so that, career. So that he was definitely like a very big part of that. Like, Early wave of post punk and the the beginnings of like the goth scenes and that like kind of sprung about in the in the eighties. Especially like he was pretty indebted to Susie and the Banshees and Susie Sue just herself as like like they uh the the Cure's one of the earliest Cure uh, major tours that they ever went on was as a support act for Susie and the Banshees in the late seventies. Which was definitely one of Robert Smith's like first, um, like major exposures to like the the full power of a band that was at its peak and like a band that was super successful at the time, and um, he he became really good friends and was like f- found himself to be fairly like minded with uh, Susie about just what they wanted out of music and their their sense of personal style and the way they carried themselves and. Susie definitely rubbed off on Robert Smith and um like after that first Cure tour um with the Banshees was when Robert Smith first started experimenting with some of that goth makeup that he's been so like famously seen in since and uh wears to this day even And, uh, that was definitely, like, a direct inspiration from the way that Susie, uh, presented herself, just, like, the, the cure, the curation of, like, an aura around her, her mystique was definitely something that Robert was very, very inspired by and attracted to artistically. And he even, he even, uh, joined the Banshees for, for a brief period in the early 80s for their album Hyena, um. That has one of the one of the more successful Susie and the Banshees songs on it, which is a cover of the uh, Beatles track uh, "Dear Prudence."
0: Yeah, and I think uh, as I recall, when uh, they were out on tour together, that's when uh, Susie and the Banshees guitar player uh, quit in the middle of the tour, and then Robert Smith was playing some double duty.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: On, on on one of their tours, I don't know if it was the first one, but that definitely happened. And like you said, he uh, he jumped into the band there for a bit.
1: Yeah, the because I believe I believe kind of in the uh, kind of in the later seventies after the f- first uh maybe two or three cure albums that Robert Smith was kind of kind of getting a little burnt out of uh the uh just general gruel of touring life and being the front front and center person in a band. And uh I know he had some personal issues with a couple of the band members at the time, which led to the bassist Simon Gallup like temporarily leaving leaving the band which Robert took his kind of a, a point to take a break, which is when he set down his uh, microphone and picked up the picked up the lead guitar duties in the Banshees, which unfortunately led to uh, a little bit of a falling out after about a year and a half uh, as the Banshees were kind of gearing up to do another tour and album, uh, which Susie was under the impression that Robert was going to be a part of when... I guess kind of after being in the band in Susie and the Banshees for about a year or so, Robert Smith kind of realized that he didn't really like being the, the person who didn't get to make the rules or really set the artistic tone for the project. I think he kind of kind of realized that while he loved Susie's music and her influence on him as an artist, he felt like he needed to represent himself best by having his own project and so after after a year or two of being in the banshees he left fairly abruptly like a week or two before the banshees were scheduled to go out on another tour uh which put susie in a little bit of a, a pickle uh, as she had to find a uh another guitarist in like under a month's time yeah, um yeah so i think that that kind of uh robert's kind of uh mishandling of the um ending of his time in the banshees has kind of permanently soured his relationship with Susie sue unfortunately but he uh got the band back together in the the mid mid 80s and kind of started to hit their like real artistic stride with like the kind of a string of albums that they like kind of took a little bit of a more um pop-centric like approach to the recording studio and decided to concentrate more on a very layered and lush dense sound and they started with like albums like pornography kind of experimented with their sound in that period still a fairly minimalistic uh, band lineup but with just like experimenting with lots of effects and just more free form and interesting songwriting stylings
0: you can just really hear the stack of layered, you know, synth going on there with that uh, with that song.
1: And yeah, they're definitely starting to get kind of the the hang of that dark and dreary atmosphere that they became famous for, polished up a little bit by just like a little bit of a less lo-fi uh a studio experience. And then they kind of uh, throughout the the mid 80s kind of perfected the sound. And just they also uh, went through kind of constant personnel changes with Robert Smith being the only central member who's been throughout the entirety of the band. But um, they added like a new uh, many keyboardists and guitarists floated through the ranks, and a lot of band members would switch around from like Lowell Tolhurst, their original drummer, ended up on keyboards and synths throughout the the mid eighties to kind of. Um, add to that textured sound. And then they were, so they were experimenting with some, some songs like, uh, in between days, which is like one of the bigger hits off their mid out mid eighties album, head in the door.
0: Definitely a top five cure song for me. I love that album and uh, definitely great song.
1: Yeah, definitely. And just like you can, de- you can kind of definitely tell that by the the mid eighties they were experimenting with more, um, like because that that song is even a lot a lot popular than even the 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 songs on in music on pornography and just like the yeah. the like very breathy like synth lead that throughout the choruses of this song is definitely like a. A very good kind of hint as to what they were where they were going and like what they were what they were doing at the time and like this was this was also around the time where they started getting like absolutely massive i know there was a time after after the um kiss me kiss me kiss me album where they played i think a show in new york to something like 30 to like 50,000 fans at I think it was maybe Dodger Stadium in LA. Oh, is that in is yeah, that it's in, in LA? LA yes. Shoot, then maybe it wasn't New York. Sorry, that, was, right. that was my bad. But that's it was a Dodgers show. Yeah, huge like kind of there that that whole era kind of culminated for them in this like massive arena show. I think there was maybe one at Madison Square Garden as well, um, but no. uh there was a a massive show that's kind of noted that happening at Dodger Stadium where like I think it was something like 30,000 fans were like, had tickets and then something like 60 or 70,000 people showed up to the show. Wow. Just in world, just like, so there was just a mass conglomerate of people around the arena. Uh, And that's, that's off, that's for, for music, like the, one of their bigger hits like that, that, and that was off of the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me album. But uh, Just Like Heaven is obviously a uh, massive hit for the band and just like a... Really kind of culminated their um, love of like combining the layered pop music and but still keeping it a little uh, moody and dreary.
0: definitely getting big by that time
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like just like that i mean that was that that song is a great example of just i mean that that could that song could have been a madonna track and been just as catchy but just the the fact that they can do that that like arrangement to that like basically what is basically just like your like a pop song is pretty pretty cool and it definitely led to some of the more the most influential and timeless music that they ever created. I feel like kind of after that, after that Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me album, like Robert Smith was kind of like, I think like I've kind of figured out how to like make this like pop music. And I know the studio really well. And I know he was starting to, this this might sound silly to some people, but he was, he was approaching the end of his 20s after Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and uh, the tour surrounding that. And he was started to freak out because he felt like all of his favorite artists and just the most notable artists throughout history had created their, like, testament work. And just their the the work that they would be known for across time and throughout history before they were 30. And uh, I think he was getting to be 20, 20, 28 or 29. So he was starting to freak out. That he was getting too old to to make to be
0: creative anyway. to
1: to make hits or to be creative or to have his like major albums that kind of I think that kind of idea started to form a little bit of a just like depressive state in in his mind that he was like potentially just a washed up like indie rocker or something like hmm. that and then I I, th- I believe there was like some personal issues that also kind of started taking their toll and that at the end of the 80s like i think he had like a long term relationship that ended like i think it was i don't know too much because he's a very private yeah, guy yeah. and is not one for the tabloids or anything but i believe it was he was like in a relationship with someone he had been in a relationship with pretty much since he was like a kid or like at the end of uh kind of this, his school days like his high school sweetheart essentially wow. they They had, like, been together for, I think, over a decade at that point, and their, like, relationship kind of ended and fell apart. So, he was, at the end of the 80s, he was feeling, like, kind of depressed, downtrodden about his, like, artistic abilities and his personal life, which led to him drinking a lot and experimenting with a lot more, just, like, drugs, and he was... I know he talks about doing a lot of um, psychedelics. I think ecstasy was beginning to become like mm-hmm. a bit of a thing at the end of the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. And him and a lot of a lot of other bands at the time, like New Order, were very much into ecstasy and that kind of uh, that scene. So I think he was experimenting with a lot of psychedelics and drinking a lot and generally not being in the best, like, mental shape of his his life, he started writing these songs that he, like, as, and as he was starting to write these songs, he kind of realized that this album was, like, coming together, and it was potentially going to be his magnum opus, if there was going to be a magnum opus of any band, but, uh... At the tail end of the 1980s, Robert kind of got all the guys in The Cure together and, uh, locked them in the studio for a better part of a year, and um, kind of when they when they emerged, when they came out of the studio and saw the sunlight, they had they had disintegration. For anyone to make that album is uh, is a, a, truly a testament. But that album is one of the best alternative albums to probably ever come out, and certainly one of the best albums uh, to close out any decade, and certainly one of the best albums of the eighties. Just its production kind of encapsulated the a lot of the genres that kind of happened in the 80s, like goth rock and synth pop, and even hints of electronic music, just pulling influences from all over the musical map to create this like, and honestly, very, very, just like mind blowing and creative and like very telling of the times album that like kind of became one of the major cornerstones of alternative music.
0: Yeah, fantastic album. I I really like your description of what was going on with Robert Smith in those days and mm-hmm. leading to the, like the perfect uh name of the album, right?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, he definitely named the album Disintegration because he very much kind of felt like his own life was for lack of a better term disintegrating at that point. Yeah. And uh he definitely poured it all kind of into his music and like that that album is definitely like he is. He seems to view it as well that like the if that album is going to be his legacy, then that's a pretty fine legacy to leave. Yeah. Like I know he's very still to this day very very fond of the album and just like what the the band were saying with with the album and just kind of uh, I would definitely say that that album solidified the Cure's legacy and just like the the rock kind of hall of greats, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could put them up there with like, I'm sure the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all the just rock bands from the 60s and 70s. I would definitely say the Cure one of the one of the bands from the 80s and 90s that stand just as tall as those bands in the over overarching just ether of pop and rock music, definitely. and just like the significance that they had on on music. And I feel like the the cure significance on music really became clear in the nineties with like the just the rise of like alternative music and rock as a as a like dominating art form. And you can definitely tell like you can tell it from all over just pretty much right off the bat in like nineteen ninety and ninety one with the uh, the beginnings of the grunge scene because that grunge scene was indebted to the cure and all those bands had their 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 songs were coated in those chorus pedals that the cure had made famous and they were all still very wow well, they were very like big and raucous and loud they were still very emotional and the lyrics were still very in touch with who the people in the bands were and who were making the music and The the lyrics are still very, like, dark and almost gothic in some of their imagery and just the way that they would talk about just feelings in general is very indicative of just the Cure's influence on that whole kind of genre of music. And you can definitely – two of the biggest grunge bands that exude Cure influence are definitely Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins and, like – some of the bigger hits off Nirvana's Nevermind like Come as You Are like that guitar tone is straight off of a Cure a Cure record with all that chorus and just the the lyrics of just like the the pain and uh sorrow hidden in the like kind of pop melodies and sensibilities of the lyrics is definitely a big thing that Kurt Cobain and Billy Corgan and other 90s artists were kind of taking as a piece of influence from the Cure. As I mentioned before, like Smashing Pumpkins are probably the other like major uh influency of the cure that were was a major player in kind of nineties rock. Like from their from their from the very get go with Smashing Pumpkins from their music with uh on, on their first album, Gish is very, very cure influenced. And then even into their later career in the nineties when they started really using the recording studio as an instrument, it definitely like shown that they had a a lot of influence from Robert Smith and, and company.
0: I think that song in particular, in 1979, it, it just it, you hear that textured, layered effect that definitely, definitely came from The Cure, no question.
1: I would agree. Yeah, and you can also they were they were at like just across the across the pond in the 90s. The Cure were also like huge, huge, perhaps one of the bigger influences in the uh, just like the shoegaze and like dream pop scenes that were happening in the later in early 90s as well with like bands like the cocktail twins and my bloody valentine and slowdive taking huge amounts of influence from the just like textures and uh just like the the very layered and dense approach that the cure would take to their music and just like also kind of incorporating a little bit of that goth sensibility to the to the the sound as well it was a huge Perhaps even a bigger influence than the influence the cure held over the, the American music in the nineties.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely hearing The Cure there. Um, Another band that uh, may be interesting to talk about, because they've uh, kind of said The Cure's kind of their favorite band from when they were Mm -hmm. kind of coming
1: up was Interpol. Oh, definitely, yeah. That gets into, like, a little bit of the, like, kind of their their current influence on just, like, newer music, because, like, Interpol, like, started out. Like, they were definitely, like, kids in the 90s when Disintegration dropped and, like... They were, like, losing their minds to... And they they were also just, like, big, big believers of just, like, the, the American grunge movements. And I know Kurt Cobain is um, one of Paul Banks from Interpol's, like, musical heroes. Kurt Cobain was also someone who would always talk up the cure and just their influence on the scene. And so... I'm sure for Paul Banks being 9 or 10 and hearing his hero Kurt Cobain talk about the Cure was definitely a very a very cool way for the the musicians in the 2000s and 2010s to kind of get introduced to this this music because it was the music that was inspired inspired the bands that they were inspired in in the 90s and you can definitely hear like the Cure's uh, music and just influence throughout much of like Interpol's uh discography. You could probably hear it best on their first couple albums like the Turn on the Bright Lights and um Antics. And I'll pl- I'll play a uh probably my favorite favorite track from uh Turn on the Bright Lights here for for you all, but you can just hear the like the the very cure like production and the darkness that isn't necessarily even there in the the notes that that is being that are being played by the the musicians but they just all together form this like vibe and uh create this kind of mystique and darkness that is definitely indebted to the the sound that the cure kind of uh popularized and perpetrated in their in their music.
0: Guitar sounds a lot like Robert Smith, doesn't it?
1: Definitely. And just the, the just like ambiance that they can they can create is definitely, definitely heavily indebted to the the cure and their sound. And like the cure have probably have had one of the more enduring influences over just music and their just their style has never really gone out of fashion. And it's almost in kind of in vogue today in the the late 2010s with like super huge like some of the most popular alternative and indie artists of today like Mitski and Phoebe Bridgers and uh a lot of the the new artists even even like older older artists like Sharon Van Etten and, and others have been like indebted to the the Cure and um like Phoebe Bridgers from uh who's like kind of most well known for like her her solo project and her project with Connor ober's better oblivion community center recently uh covered a uh the probably the biggest cure song when she stopped at the the spotify studios to record her uh, like spotify single and this within this last year but um just the fact that the the cure can show this immense influence over like new artists and people like Phoebe Bridgers was born in 1994, like four years after even disintegration came out. So the fact that like musicians that were born after this band did most of their important music can be, can still be discovering and inspired by this, this music definitely shows that like the cure are one of the more important, if not one of the most important uh bands that have come about since the since like the sixties and seventies like gave us all the all the bands that inspired everybody. Mm-hmm. But um here's Phoebe Bridgers doing Friday I'm in love. I don't care if
0: Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray and Wednesday too thursday i don't care about you it's friday i'm in love monday you
1: can fall apart tuesday wednesday break my heart thursday doesn't eat... and if i'm not mistaken i believe that that cover was uh chosen by her fan base because i think she offered like four or five songs for her fans to choose like which song she would, would cover for her Spotify session. And the fans chose Friday I'm in love. So that also is just a testament to the cures, enduring popularity with not just musicians, but like music fans and people who are like immensely just into emotional and very, very invested music. Yeah. Um, I think the cure, one of the best at that and probably one of the best, just in general. Oh, I would I would
0: definitely agree. Um great band. Great that they've been around so long. Definitely. Over four over yeah. forty years now. And definitely, uh definitely deserve to be um put into the rock and roll hall of fame
1: for sure. Definitely. Certainly. I feel like we've kind of traced the cure from their uh roots to now so we'll leave you with this early one from the cure it's uh boys don't cry off their first album and i think it was even their debut single yeah
0: i think it was either their first or second single it was the first it was the first single to really pop
1: yeah yeah all right here you go boys don't cry and this has been influenced but i know that this i have said too much to unkind i try to laugh about